Life can be stressful, even under normal circumstances. 2020 has challenged even the most difficult times of life. You need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes. That's Headspace. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research and can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Go to headspace.com slash C-suite for a free one-month trial. Headspace.com slash C-suite. Starting now, you can get a transcript of each week's Rich Dad Radio Show. Just visit www.richdad.com radio and download a copy today. This is the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. Here's Robert Kiyosaki. Hello and welcome to the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and the bad news about money. I'm Kim Kiyosaki and I'll be hosting the show today as Robert is off in some exotic locale. And uh, we have a really special show for you today because if you have ever felt any stress in your life about money, this might be your show. And if you've ever stressed about being able to retire, the number one thing people are concerned about in the U.S., the number one thing is having enough money to retire on once they're done with their work. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of statistics out there. We'll get to some of them. But if you have any stress in your life about money, we're going to talk to you because this first guest that we have is about how to relieve some of that stress and what needs to happen for you to be more comfortable and have actually better relationships with money, better relationships with your spouse, your partner, better relationships with your business people, coworkers. So there's one thing that um, my, my guest and I do agree with, and we agree that we do have a financial literacy crisis in the U.S., and I would say we have this crisis throughout the world. And our first guest is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. She is a wealth psychology expert and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, and she has a brand new book out called Breaking Money Silence, How to Shatter Money Taboos, Talk More Openly About Finances, and Live a Richer Life. And she has a way, she has basically started a revolution on how to bring more financial literacy to the world, and she does it in a very different way. So Kathleen, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and talk to you a little bit today, Kim. Well, thank you for being here because I think what you're doing is very, very important. And let's let's just start with give us a little bit of your background and then we'll get into this revolution. Sure. I have an interesting background in that I have both a financial background uh, in terms of being a finance major and having worked in banking and finance, and then I also uh, have a psychology background. So I have worked as a counselor, and now I work as a wealth psychology expert. And so my work always is the blend between the two worlds of the you know, rational, technical pieces around finance, and then uh, more importantly, um, the emotional aspects that often get in the way of us taking care of ourselves around money. So your book is called Breaking Money Silence. What is money silence? Money silence is the uncomfortableness that many of us feel talking about personal finances or our thoughts and feelings about money with the people in our lives. Uh, it's about 44% of Americans uh, would rather talk about death, dying, or politics than talk about uh, personal finances with a loved one. And, and that tends to be a global trend. It happens in They'd many, rather many talk companies. about death. 
than money. <laughs> yes, isn't that surprising? That was one study that'd rather talk about death. And so there's something so taboo against talking about money. And, you know, I'm somebody who likes to speak up and likes to talk about taboo topics. And I decided, you know what, we really need to get over this in order to take care of ourselves financially. And um, that's, you know, how the book or the idea for the book uh, came to pass. So it's more about the emotional side of money. Absolutely. I mean, I, it, the book is about financial communication and whether that's with an individual, whether that's with your romantic partner, your aging parent, your kid, your boss. It, you know, it's a variety of different um, types of relationships, except for what I find gets in the way, Kim, is that it's our emotions around money, our discomfort around our relationship with money that often makes it really hard to um, engage in a, a financial conversation that's going to be really useful. Um, our, our automatic thought is often, you know, this is going to be a conflict, we're going to fight, or this is going to be, you know, it's rude or unnecessary. And, and what I've found in my own life, and certainly the people that I've worked with is that once you break through that money silence and engage in these money conversations, you discover so much about yourself and other people. And dare I say, it can actually be fun. <laughs> it can be fun. I, I have a lot of fun talking about money. <laughs> so what, what, are, what, are, what are the emotion? What are those, what, what holds people back? What is that emotional tie or that, why, do, why are we so reluctant to talk about? Why are we so scared or what, what are we afraid of? What, what's going on? Well, I think fear is a good uh, emotion to bring up. A lot of people are fearful about engaging in these conversations. But I think if you look back at, at history, what you'll find is that you go back in time, and I'm talking centuries and centuries, and you have kings and queens sitting around saying, you know what, we better not tell the kids how much gold's in the basement, because <laughs> if we tell the kids, they might tell somebody else, and then we might get attacked. So actually, not talking about money way back when actually protected families um, and helped them keep their wealth and their status. Nowadays, you find that families are not talking about money, and what's ended up happening is that a majority of them are not successfully passing down wealth to their kids, both the financial wealth as well as the financial um, uh, the family legacy, excuse me. And so what has started off as something that was maybe really useful has been, has turned into something that's destructive. And I just don't think we've caught up in our society uh, in terms of that it's an okay thing to talk about. You know, we talk about um, religion, we talk about politics, we talk about so much now and share so much on social media, but you ask somebody what their salary is, what they paid for their house, or the last time they had a money conversation with their romantic partner, and all you hear is crickets. And so I'm on a mission to make that different. Great, great. And is there a difference between how men look at money and how women look at money? In general, so these are generalizations, there are some key differences in how men and women um, approach money, approach wealth. Uh, one thing being women often see it from a holistic standpoint. So whether they are looking at uh, a job, uh, making an investment, or even thinking about planning for the future, they're often thinking about not only themselves and the financial return, they're also thinking about how does this affect the people around me and who I love. Not to say that men don't do that, but men, on average, do a better job of compartmentalizing it and looking at what is the financial uh, rate of return or what's the, the payoff I'm going to get for making this particular investment or you know, negotiating this particular salary. So there's some nuances that are different between the genders. But I think overall, both men and women struggle when it comes to uh, breaking money silence and, and engaging in these conversations. And, but isn't there also some kind of a, a stigma with women 
in that, you know, it, it's typically has been the man that takes care of the money, and he used to be the primary breadwinner, not so much today. Um, she doesn't like having to justify why she buys things if she's not bringing in the money. And also there's this whole thing about it's not feminine. It's not nurturing. Mm. You shouldn't bring up these subjects, you know, and you shouldn't talk about your your salary. I mean, it's one of the reasons I think there's a salary uh, inequality is because women are afraid to ask for more money because they're seen as selfish or greedy, and they're not supposed to be that way, according to society. Yes, I think our society needs to kind of catch up with how we're thinking about women, money, and power. And so there definitely is a difference in terms of how women are viewed when they take care of themselves financially. Uh, so much so that if you look at breadwinning women, so the women who are you know, now the primary breadwinners, what you find is that a large majority, something like up to 70% of them, downplay their breadwinning status to their friends and families. And so you have to ask yourself, why is that? Why are we hiding that we're you know, making right. money and that we're taking care of money? Right. It comes down to the fact that, like you said, we're seen as less attractive. Or if we negotiate our salary, we're seen as kind of being aggressive and, um, you know, and, uh, you know, curt, whereas men are seen as, oh, he's astute. He's taking care of himself. Yes. So that double bind really gets women. And certainly, um, you know, I feel very passionate, as I know you do, into empowering women to say, yes, I have to take care of my financial life. It's just like men do. It's, we have to exercise. We have to, you know, take care of our physical and mental health. And we also have to take care of our financial health. Well, yes, and if you because if you look at women, let's just talk about women for a, a moment. Um, there was a study done here that said that eighty percent of women of this study said that they have refrained from discussing their finances with those close to them. Eighty percent—that means spouses, family, um, coworkers, boss, whatever—they they don't want to talk about it. Yet, let's look at let's look at what really happens in a woman's life and let's look what happens with finances because as women get older, especially as we get older, it could be, you know, the number one cause for divorce. One of the leading factors is money. They don't want to talk about it, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's frustrating. that I've heard that statistic as well. And what's frustrating is that when you do break money silence with, say, your girlfriend, what I have found is that we do want to talk about it. We just need permission to open up about it. And so women are doing themselves a disservice if they're not engaging in a financial conversation. And what's interesting, too, is that a lot of times when you're talking about money, it's not just the dollars and cents. It's what do you think about money? What do you think about the purpose of money in your life? What do you want to teach your kids or your grandkids or your niece or nephews? You know, it's all this other stuff around money. And women, on average, are really good at talking about emotions and engaging in conversation. Yes, they are. So I think it's a huge opportunity. And hopefully um, more women like you will be role models and say, you know, that we need to do this. And it's, you know, it's not something to be scared of. Yeah, because I've seen so many women, especially, as I said, as we get older, due to divorce, due to death of a spouse, um, due to bad money management, they end up uh, in financial crisis. And there's one other statistic is that of the of the elderly living in poverty, three out of four are women. Yet eighty percent, eighty percent of those women living in poverty today were not poor when their husband was alive. So we've got to look at this. And and I just want to touch on and and we can talk more about this, Kathleen. But you talk about um, a money mindset, and I think that's where it starts the mindset you have about money. What do you mean by that? So a money mindset is the collection of all your thoughts and beliefs about money and its purpose in your life. 
it affects, whether you're aware of it or not, these thoughts and beliefs affect your saving, spending, gifting, and investing, and also your ability to talk about money. And so we all have these money mindsets, but because we don't engage in these conversations or know we even have one, um, we don't really realize how much of an impact they have. So if you were raised in a family, as I was, where it wasn't a spoken thing that you weren't supposed to be financially successful or too successful. It was kind of a very insidious message that, you know, you want to be financially successful, but not too successful because then you're not going to be attractive um, to, you know, a romantic partner. Um, then what ends up happening is you find yourself, and I certainly did in my own life, find yourself you know, not negotiating good deals or volunteering all your time away or not sticking to what your fee structure is because I'm an entrepreneur. And so everybody's money mindset, and there's an exercise in the book on how to uncover yours, really does impact your financial behavior. And so I think as women, we often are brainwashed to think we're not supposed to care about it or be profit motivated when in fact... Um, that couldn't be farther from the truth. When, Why not take care of yourself? When, in fact, it affects, we use money every single day. It affects everything in our life. It affects our health. It affects our education. It affects everything, but we don't want to talk about it. So I'm talking with Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. She is the author of Breaking Money Silence, How to Shatter Money Taboos, Talk More Openly About Finances, and Live a Richer Life. And Kathleen is a wealth psychology expert and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, we were talking about what you call a money mindset. So it, as best I can tell, this, these are your emotional thoughts and beliefs you've had probably since you were knee high that you may have picked yes. up from parents, society, who knows who. Usually uh, starting around age five, we start to notice what's going around in our world around money. Uh, and we notice it from our parents, significant caregivers. And, and we usually form these beliefs up to about 15, 16 uh, and then they influence, you know, how we relate to money throughout our lifetime. So this, to me, is really about awareness because a lot of us don't even know that the, what beliefs we're operating on. We don't know why we spend so much or why we, why we are hoarders or why we want to save every single penny. We don't even look at why. So how do you, how do you discover what your mindset is and, and how do you change it? Well, you're, you're absolutely right. It's definitely about awareness. So the first step is always to identify what are your beliefs around money. Now, that's pretty broad. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's narrow Well, what did your parents to. teach you about money? What did your school teach you about money? You could look at from that point of view. That, but also I think when we're talking about engaging in financial conversations, really think about what are my beliefs about talking about money? Where do those beliefs come from? Uh, how do they help me? And how do they get in the way? So, you know, if you were raised, I have a girlfriend who always jokes, well, you know, I'd never tell my husband how much I, um, you know, spend when I'm shopping. And so she has this belief that somehow you're not supposed to share that with your partner. So you wonder, okay, where did that come from? Right. And then how does it serve her? How does it get in the way? And once you do that, Kim, then it becomes, okay, what are the things that I want um, to do differently? I encourage people to dare to break money silence. And I know that sounds simple, but it can be, you know, challenging. So what I encourage people to do is once you decide, okay, I'm going to have a money conversation, maybe it's something I'm not 100% comfortable in, but I've heard from Kim and Kathleen that this makes sense, and um, I'm going to try it. Pick somebody who's safe. Maybe that's a financial advisor you work with. Maybe that is a friend, a girlfriend that you have. Um, you so know, you maybe practice. You kind of practice yeah. on other people. You have to practice, practice. But, but often what people will do is they will start having a money conversation with the person that they're most in conflict about finances yeah. with. Yeah. And that's such a, 
up for failure. So you want to practice. And then I think the other thing that I always encourage people to do is start with something that's positive. Ask somebody, you know, what's your greatest financial success and what did you learn from it? Even if it's a small success, that way you're setting the conversation up to be positive and you both can have this experience of a 10, 15-minute financial conversation that feels good as opposed to we usually relate it with negative emotions. Right. And that's when most people talk about money is when there's a problem. So I like that. You start, uh, start with positive conversation and start small and practice. I like that. that. That fits in with everything we talk about investing. You start small, you practice, you take baby steps. But let me ask, here's the million dollar question I get. So I want to start investing or I want to, this is, a, let's say it's a woman talking. I want to start investing or I want to start taking control of my money because my husband c- controls everything. Um, but he doesn't want to have that conversation. He does not, he's not interested. He is happy with the things the way they are. What the heck does she do? Well, I think, first of all, being aware that there's a dynamic that you've lived with for a long time where he's maybe called the shots and you haven't taken, um, you know, haven't been proactive, and then working with that. So don't think that you're going to have one money conversation and everything's going to get tied up in a pretty bow. That isn't realistic. So if you have a husband that maybe isn't as receptive to you being involved, I guess instead of getting angry about it and frustrated, um, kind of get curious with him and wonder, what would it be like if I was more involved? What, you know, I hear you want to um, do this and you don't want me involved in a certain level. Help me understand that. And so any good money conversation is about mutual understanding, not always agreeing. So his motivation could be he feels like maybe he needs to be a good provider and this is part of being a man or being the man right, of the house. Right, right, right. Um, or it could be simply, I don't like to share control because you're going to slow down the process. But once you find out what's that underneath reason, if, if that your partner can share that with you, that yeah. can be really useful. I think the other thing is if you, he doesn't want you to do it with him, it doesn't mean you can't learn about investments on your own. Right, that's what I always say. It doesn't mean that you can't take care of yourself. Right. And over time... You know, I feel like if you slowly kind of chip away at it, over time, often partners will change and shift a little bit, enough so both can be involved in that process. So you're kind of saying, you kind of drip on it. You kind of just kind of keep at it, keep nagging. It's called the broken record technique. You can't be a nag, but it's kind of looking for these teachable moments or looking for, say, you know, your partner's stressed out about money. You know, this is an example, honey, of when I could be there for you and maybe we could have a quick conversation. Maybe you wouldn't have to have the stress on your you know, just on That's your own. That's a great point. So because looking I, for those moments. Yeah, yeah I think because I think a lot of men would be relieved <laughs> to have her on their side or, or vice versa if she's the primary money maker to have him on their side financially because I think it relieves some of the, the, the burden. Um, but, I, you know, I, I also like when you talk about how you fix it. And, you know, you, you talk about you, you need to learn. I, I call it learning the language of money. You've got to get educated. You've got to take classes. And you've got to ask for help. And let me ask you this, Kathleen, when you ask for help, um, there's, there's what we call real teachers and fake teachers, okay? Real teachers are people that are out there doing what you want to learn every day. They're doing what you want to do every day. So if you want to learn about money, you go to somebody who is the practicing what it is you want to learn. So in the world of financial experts... Who, number one, who do you go to? If you want to bring, if you want to go to a financial expert, who do you go to? What do you look for? And what questions do you ask? Great, because there are people who are maybe looking for people to engage in this conversation, and there might be more in it for them than for you. So you yes, want to be really exactly. careful. Exactly. We're not looking for salespeople. Right, right. 
And so, you know, there are there are is a group of financial advisors who are committed to engaging in these conversations. Um, sometimes they call them family wealth conversations, or just engaging with women and helping empower them. If if indeed you're a female, um, but I would ask a financial advisor who you are either currently working for or potentially want to work with, ask them, you know, how what do they think about um, engaging and facilitating money talk in your family or with you? Um, is it something that they're familiar with? Are they familiar with breaking money silence? Um, because one of the things that's in the book, actually, that's great is it's not only exercises for consumers and coaching activities, there's also exercises in there for advisors. So you could use it as a tool to kind of help facilitate that conversation. Suppose you aren't in a position to go to a financial advisor. There are other people out here who are doing um, money coaching or wealth psychology uh, consulting. And so what you want to look for is somebody who's been through a training program, somebody who um, practices what they preach, and somebody who at least you can get a couple of referrals from to make sure that they are somebody who is credible and is going to look out for your best interest. Very nice. And your book is called Breaking Money Silence, which I highly recommend. Um, your website is breakingmoneysilence.com. Um, I'm sure that has a lot of resources and, and good information on what you can do to get started or to keep the conversation going. Um, one thing that we do at, at the Rich Dad Company is one of the ways we start the conversation is we have our cash flow board game. And it teaches you about money. It teaches you about investing. And if you play that with your kids, you play that with your spouse, it can start the conversation as well. So we're just looking at ways to, you know, let, let me ask you one other thing. We're just looking at ways to how do you get more comfortable with the subject of money? And I've got to ask you, Kathleen, I mean, sometimes people just have to realize that it's not wrong to talk about your personal finances, especially if they need help. Right. Absolutely. I, and I think I think one of the things, Kim, that happens is we tend to think somehow we're not doing money, quote unquote, right, and that everybody else, you know, has it figured out. Well, when you start engaging in these conversations, what you find is, you know, sometimes we make good decisions around money. Sometimes we make mistakes, and then it's learning from those mistakes. Right. Exactly. Um, but on the BreakingMoneySilence.com website, there are tip sheets. There's a Breaking Money Silence podcast. There's, you know, and there's a lot of different tools that you can use uh, to dare to break the money silence. So just like and the cash flow game sounds great for a way to do that as well. I think it, it can be fun. It can be interesting. It doesn't have to be dark and dreary and uncomfortable. Right. It can be, you know, just trying to uh, chip away and learn a little bit more about what you think about money, what your partner thinks, and um, looking for opportunities where you can start to pick up on, uh, on these dialogues. Great. Let's talk about two two other um, subjects: parents and kids. Parents would rather talk about sex with their kids than talk about money. I know, isn't that crazy? That's crazy. <laughs> how how does a how does a parent? Of course, we have a cash flow game for kids. Um, but how how would you recommend a parent begin that conversation about money with kids? Well, I think something like gamification is really is helpful and important. What's really key is to not lecture your children about money. Now, we all know that intellectually, but then you find yourself lecturing your kid about money. 
I encourage people to look for teachable moments. So you're in the grocery store and all of a sudden your adolescent son is throwing all sorts of food in, in your bin. You stop and you ask them, you know, why are you throwing all this and, and how, how much does that add up to be? And, you know, let's look at whether that's in the budget. That's a teachable moment. Maybe you're driving in the car um, with your, you know, daughter and there's music on the radio. And all of a sudden you hear that, oh, there's an interesting money message in this radio in this radio music. And so you stop and say, I know that's your favorite song. What do you think that says to us about money and about spending? And so you just look for creative ways in your everyday life to break that money silence, to dare to have that conversation. And the fun part about kids is they're so honest and open um, that they often will just kind of, you know, blurt things out and, and the conversation becomes easier. So it's less about um, you know, criticizing them or lecturing them. It's more about engaging them when these teachable moments come up. I like that. Looking for teachable moments. You can find those all the time. Uh, adult kids, parents getting older, um, they've never had the money conversation. Parents are getting ill. Things have to happen. Where, just what, in a, what, give me one piece of advice in that situation because I see it all the time. Approach your elderly or aging parent with loving intentions. Explain to them specifically why you're concerned uh, about their finances and how you might be able to be helpful. And then give them a little time to make a decision. You may have been thinking about this for, you know, three weeks. Uh, they're just hearing about it. So give them a little time to process it. Very nice. Well, thank you, Kathleen. Again, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, fascinating. We just basically barely scratched the surface. She's the author of Breaking Money Silence. Highly recommend that book. And her website is breakingmoneysilence.com. Kathleen, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Thank you for the mission that you are on. So appreciate it. Thank you, Kim, for the money talk. And we'll keep keep talking. We'll keep talking that money talk. And when we come back, we're going to find another way to relieve a little stress. If you're an entrepreneur looking to raise capital, we're going to talk about how to raise capital from a real entrepreneur. You're listening to The Rich Dad Radio Show with Robert Kiyosaki. Don't be like Charlie. Charlie is that do-it-yourselfer who does himself in. Do-it-yourself is good for tile and grout. It is not good for asset protection. Charlie thought he'd save a few dollars forming his LLC online. With no guidance, he did it wrong. When he sold the property, he lost thousands and thousands of dollars. He did himself in by trying to do it himself. Don't burn yourself. Use Corporate Direct to set up and maintain your LLCs and corporations. Corporate Direct is owned and operated by attorney and rich dad advisor, Garrett Sutton. Garrett wrote the bestsellers, Loopholes of Real Estate and Start Your Own Corporation. He is Robert Kiyosaki's attorney for asset protection. He and his team will do it right. Visit them at CorporateDirect.com or call 800-600-1760. Mention Rich Dad and receive $100 off your formation fee. That's CorporateDirect.com. CorporateDirect.com. This is the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. Here's Robert Kiyosaki. Hello and welcome back to the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and the bad news about money. I'm Kim Kiyosaki hosting today's show as Robert is out and about traveling the world. And we have a fascinating show and we've been talking a little bit about how to relieve some of that stress of money around the psychology of money and about those breaking money silence and start people talking about money when typically it's been a very taboo subject, which I don't understand. But uh, we need to get those conversations going because we do literally have a financial literacy crisis throughout the world. And 
it's time that we fix that. That's what the Rich Dad Company is all about, educating people about money, about investing, and really taking control of your own financial life. And our guest now is Krista Morgan. She is the CEO and co-founder of P2B Investor. And if you are an entrepreneur looking to raise money, if you need that little startup capital to get started, or you need some money to grow your company, um, she's the one to talk to. And she is an entrepreneur, and this is her business, P2B Investor. And she's going to talk to us about the whole situation of relieving some of that stress by finding a good investor, finding good funding, so that you can start or grow your entrepreneurial business. Welcome to the show, Krista. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. Hey, so let's just start. Tell us your story. How, how did you go from employee to entrepreneur? You know, sometimes I, I ask myself that question all the time. <laughs> I, th- I think we probably all do. <laughs> That's right. All right. You know, honestly, um, it, it seems when I when I tell it, it seems like a big leap. But you know, at the time, I just you know wasn't happy in what I was doing. I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, and I how old came up how old were you idea. at the time? How old were you at the time, Krista? Twenty twenty nine. Okay. Oh, great. That's a good time to start yeah, asking. So yeah, twenty nine, and I said, you know, what am I doing in this job? Where do I want to go? And uh, my dad and I had been talking about you know just sort of batting around various ideas, and all of a sudden we stumbled on an idea that we really thought, you know, worked, and I did some research, and no one was doing it, and so I just said, you know, if not now, then then when, <laughs> and, and I, I went for it. And what, what was the idea? What was it that nobody else was doing? So we had this idea of taking invoice financing, which is like a sort of very, you know, common and, and type of financing that growing businesses use. And we put it online and uh, mixed it with crowdfunding. And so let me back up a minute. Let me just born. back up a minute. So you say invoice yeah. financing. So mm-hmm. can you explain what that is? Sure. So ton of businesses. So I don't know. Let's say you're, you make I don't know an organic food product and you sell it into Whole Foods. Typically. Whole Foods is going to take 60 days to pay your invoice. Yes. And you generally have to pay your employees today. So what what you do is you can sell that invoice today. So you're getting the money today instead of waiting 60 days. Oh, okay. Okay. So so the problem you're solving for, you're actually solving problems for entrepreneurs and getting them their money faster. Correct. Correct. Yeah, because when you're a growing business, you don't have good credit. The banks won't lend to you. And so this is a way for you to access financing um, to, to just manage those swings in cash flow that so I think every entrepreneur understands. Right. And so when you started P2B, did you have to raise capital? Definitely. We had to raise about a million dollars just to get started. Okay. Like I, I basically raised a million dollars with a PowerPoint. <laughs> and, and what was it like for you going through that experience? Because this is this is something that scares most entrepreneurs to death, going out there and having to ask for money. How was that experience for you? So here's what I'll, I'll be honest. I actually really, I actually really enjoy raising money. Um, I didn't think that I would. You know, the experience when I first got started, you know, I, d- I didn't know how to do it. So I just started researching and I watched how other people were raising money. And I, you know, said to myself, like, okay, I, you know, I can do this. I put a pitch deck together. 
I started going to events where there were investors. I started applying to pitch competitions. And I just, I just started doing it. And what I found is every time I pitched, I learned something. Every time I talked to an investor, I learned something. And you very quickly, you know, get like you can get much better at it very quickly. Uh, so I, I actually really enjoyed it. So you you actually you practiced. <laughs> you went out there and you practiced, practiced, oh. practiced. You must be a very good. You must All be very good at sales. You know, I am. I I, <laughs> I never would have thought of myself as a salesperson. You know, and uh, but becoming an entrepreneur, I think, especially if you're the founder and CEO, you are the core salesperson. If you can't sell your product then no one will be able to sell your product. Thank you for thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that because I see so many entrepreneurs and tell me your experience. So many entrepreneurs they say, "Oh, I've got this great product." But they don't know how to sell. What do you, what are their chances of success? I definitely think it 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 makes it a lot more difficult. You know, it does because you're especially in those early days of your business, Really, people are buying your passion. Yes. You know, investors are buying your passion. Your first customers are buying your passion. Uh, you know, like today, we've we spent the last year kind of just adjusting our business model. So now we actually are, are selling. We do financing with banks. Okay. You know, what we said is the first banks that we're going to sell, like I sell them. I didn't go out and hire an expensive salesperson to sell to banks. But I know the first customers we get in this new program will be sold by me. Right, right. So you work with entrepreneurs, but then you're mm-hmm. also reaching out to investors to raise money to fund the entrepreneurs, correct? Correct. Okay, so let's look at it from two points of view. So let's say I'm an entrepreneur and I'm starting up my business and I need some capital funding. Tell me, the, tell me what, you, what are the criteria you look for? Well, so we generally work with the, our, the platform that I run generally works with businesses that are a little bit further along, typically have about half a million in, in revenue. Okay. Um, they have early product traction, and they're usually just starting to sell into their first big customer. Like any, any it's really anyone that's going to buy, I don't know, call a hundred to $200,000 a year of product that's when we can come in and start providing them with a line of credit that lets them grow their business. Okay. And so are you, you're looking primarily at past sales, track record? Correct. We look at sales. We look at your cash flow. We look at um, you know, just your general financial projections to understand you know, how you're intending to grow. Uh, and... But yeah, those are the primary things we're looking at. Okay, which is the, which is the same for any entrepreneur, whether you're starting up or you're, you're a seasoned entrepreneur. You need to know your sales. You need to know your cash flow. You need to know your numbers. You got to know your numbers to succeed. What is what what could be the kiss of death for a entrepreneur who's looking for funding from you? It it really is. I can't tell you how important the quality of the financials are. You know, because you're going to give us financial statements and then we're going to have people look at them and they're going to start to ask questions. Hey, how come it says this on your balance sheet, but this doesn't match up with this number over here? And, you know, when we get on the phone with entrepreneurs and ask these questions and they, they, they really don't understand what's going on, you know, that, it's, a, it's a huge issue, you know, because when, when you're taking financing from someone, they have to trust that 
you are going to run your business and be able to pay them back. Yes. Right? It's a deal. Yes. <laughs> right? yes. We give you money, you pay us back. And so having a really working with entrepreneurs who have a really good grasp on their financials is like that is what that's what we look for. That's like the number one thing that gives any person is giving you money confidence in you. Great. That, that's a great point because we all, always say that, you know, if you're going to raise money, whether it's from a lender, personal lender, investor, um, you have got to be very, very responsible with that. This is not something you take lightly at all. So, you know, no, in, the, in our earlier sec- section, we were talking about, you know, money conversations and you are in business with your dad. Yeah. Give me the pros and cons of that. (laughs) What's it like working with family? Well, here, you know, my dad and I have been working together for six years now. So as you can imagine, there have been, you know, good years and and bad years and hard times and and good times. Um, But the thing that I love about working with my dad is that, you know, one, we trust each other. You know, and we know that we have each other's back. Like, even in those bad days, you know, when you know that you're going to want to spend Christmas with someone and Thanksgiving with someone, you know, you don't, you just, uh, you do your best to make it work and find compromise, you know, and like move past the conflict because it's not, it's just not worth it, right, to have that conflict. Um, and then I think the, the difficult times are, you know, sometimes your dad forgets that you're a grown-up. That's like a <laughs> Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're the CEO, you know, and uh, so I think that, you know, just finding, you know, there's like, there's an inherent power struggle, right? And trying, you know, me trying to prove myself. Right. And, well, that's every daughter sure and father. <laughs> that's every daughter and father. Yes. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, but, but broadly, you know, I would, I don't know if I would do it again. I think he knows this, but. I'm really glad I did it. And he and I've really, you know, found a way to make things make things work. And it's been a hugely positive experience overall. And and was your dad an entrepreneur? He was. He Well, he had, like, bought into a company before. He had run some bigger companies and then had been an owner in a, in a business. And, and so, yeah, and then we, we got together and, and did this. But this was both of our first finance company. So it's important. I always like to tell people, like, I didn't have a background in finance. You know, I did not come to this knowing everything. Like, everything we've done, I have just learned, you know, and he and I have learned together. You're, it's also interesting because you also have a bit of the uh, female women support education power uh, women in business. And I, I understand 50% of your, of your staff is female. Yes. Yes, which is about unheard of in financial technology. Yeah, and in the whole world of fintech, it's very rare. What What's your experience in being being female? I I don't. My guess is it doesn't really impact you at all because you're very strong and and determined. Um, but what are what are the what what do women face in the world of fintech? Oh, at the I think at the end of the day, you you feel like you just have to you have to do more to prove yourself um, and. And you, you just often feel kind of out of place. You know, you go into a conference and, you know, you're, you're the only person, you're like one of the only women in the room. And so, you know, you just, you feel self-conscious and you feel like you stand out. And when, when really, you know, when I sit and talk to male entrepreneurs, you know, we're all the same. We're all dealing with exactly the same problems. But as a woman, you just feel a little bit more uncomfortable um, and you have to, you have to overcome that. 
Well, it sounds like you've overcome it pretty well. <laughs> You're doing very, very well. Again, we're talking well, to Krista. Take it till you make it. <laughs> Again, we're talking to Krista Morgan. She's the CEO and co-founder of P2B Investor, um, it, which is an alternative lender that provides fast flexible working capital to good businesses, as she says, with big ambitions. Her website is p2bi.com. You had a great lesson that you learned building your business. You had a story you wanted to tell. What is that? Yeah, when when I first, when I raised my my first million dollars, um, you know, and and really just to get our business off the ground, I remember thinking that I had made it. I remember thinking like, this it's all up and to the right, you know. Because you had your million dollars. Yeah, I was like, this is, you know, so much money. And, you know, they, the, the, the short version of the story is I, we basically spent almost the entire million dollars before getting our first customer. Wow. And when I say it, you know, it's like, it seems hard to believe because how could I have done that? And I just always remember, you know, we were trying to get customers, we were spending money, but we didn't match what we didn't hold really hold back our spending until we saw customers go we were trying to spend money to get customers and that is something i remember and and today as our business grows i still think about that i still make sure that we don't overspend until we see growth moving until we see the revenue numbers going so the lesson you learned was to make sure you have customers before you run out of money (laughs) i i know it sounds obvious but it's (laughs) no it's great when you first raise when you first raise money and and i think it's important because that's what builds confidence with your investors so you're trying to raise money they're going to say how are you going to spend it exactly say to them look i really understand that this that i am going to you know, focus my spending on getting customers and I'm not going to get distracted by nice office space or perfect. Yeah, we were, we've all seen those entrepreneurs. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's a, that's a great lesson because I get, I get um, hit up by a lot of people that want to want me to invest in their business. And when I ask that question, how are you going to spend my money? I either want to hear, I'm going to, I'm going to grow sales I'm going to get customers. It's all about how they're going to bring income in. And I had one person that said, oh, I've, I've got this great new office, and I'm going to furnish it, and I'm going to pay myself a salary. <laughs> and I said, bye-bye. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> so after you went through your first million, did you raise that from investors, the $1 million? Yes, angel investors. Angel. So we've raised, I've raised about $11 million now, all from angel investors. And so after you went through that $1 million, did you have to go back to those angel investors? I sure did, which is another, you know, important thing that I always remember, which is, you know, the chances are that you are going to need more capital. And so making sure that you treat your investors with respect that you communicate with them, you tell them how it's going, and you really maintain a positive relationship means they will invest in you again. I have investors that have invested in us four times, you know, because they, they, they trust us, you know, and and we do what we say we're going to do, you know, and, and that is what investors really care about. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me ask you about other, you know, Traditionally, um, you'd go to a bank, and even today I hear people say, oh, I went to um, invest in a property, and I went to this bank, and they turned me down, and so I'm not going to buy it. I'm like, well, there's a lot of other ways to raise money and a lot of other lenders out there that are not traditional banks, 
And even banks, they lend for different things, and they'll lend to different businesses, and they'll lend for different properties. So in your world, you see a lot of alternative lenders other than traditional banks. What, what are some of the ways that people can raise capital? Where can they find money? Tons of places. And one of the things I always tell entrepreneurs is, you know, j- just because you go to a bank and they say no doesn't mean you shouldn't go to 20 other banks. Exactly. You really, do- you really don't know. Everyone's going to have different criteria. Uh, so I think, you know, just not letting yourself be put off by that one person, you know, the first one saying no. And then, you know, there are, there are a ton of alternative lenders. But, you know, technology is is evolving things, right? We have platforms where you can go and get loans in in minutes. Uh, and there are, and, you know, crowdfunding has, there's been a lot of talk of crowdfunding, and I don't think um, didn't grow as quickly as we thought it would, but it's actually really starting to, to get bigger now. What, what type um, of business other, would, what type of business would do well with crowdfunding? So often a company that's got a product, so let's say you're, you're making, at whatever you know, whatever it is, or organic jam, <laughs> you okay. can sell it to customers. You know, that's so. Product companies do really well with crowdfunding, and then technology companies um, as well. So the product company, you would you could go to a crowd crowdfunding place, get money, and you just deliver product to them. They they don't become investors Correct. in your business. You just give them product in exchange for money. Correct. You're basically pre-selling, basically pre-selling your product. You're saying one day I'm going to have this product. If you give me the money, I'm going to make it and then I will send it to you. Perfect. Perfect. So crowdfunding, what other, what other alternative lenders are out there, Krista? Well, so another thing I've seen a lot lately is uh, companies that think about, they go and find strategic investors. So I don't know, let's say you're, you want to provide a service into, I don't know, like a a larger company. You can actually, most large companies now have investing departments where you can go to them and say, you know, hey, here's my plan. Here's how I'm going to help your business. And would you consider an investment in my company? I think that's becoming a lot more popular. And and then it really, I mean, it really depends what kind of, what kind of business you are, but there's all these alternative debt platforms. If you don't need a lot of money to start your business, um, I would always prefer to take debt rather than sell a piece of my company. Yes, that's a good point. Say that again. Say that again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it just, you know, giving up a part of your company doesn't feel expensive in the early days, but I promise you as your company gets bigger, you are just, you're going to want every piece of your company that you can hold on to. Yes. And so I would always rather take debt and take the responsibility of paying it back rather than giving up a piece of my business. Yes. We, and we also say, if you can pay for it with dollars, pay for it. Don't give up your yes. company for something that you can pay for in the marketplace. No, exactly right. People don't think they think, you know, when you sell a piece of your company, it's not costing you anything. But you know, we forget a typical investor in a business, they're looking for, you know, 35% annual returns. That's a lot, right? So you can probably get debt that's cheaper than that. Yeah, great point. And you must see an awful lot of businesses, you must have your finger on the pulse of a lot of up and coming new business trends, new businesses that are doing well. What's what are you seeing the businesses that are in demand today? We see so we see a ton of just new niche products, whether it's natural foods, whether they're, you know, 
I don't know, any, any kind of, you know, you find a community that's looking for a specific product and, and the margins are really good. Uh, there's a lot of demand for it. People are moving out of, they don't want, they, they don't want to buy something that everyone else has. They want something special. So I think if you can produce something like that, uh, there's a lot of demand for it. The other thing we see is just a big rise in, in service companies. You know, the economy is doing well. People are outsourcing. So if you can provide a valuable service to a company there, uh, it, it's really, you know, we're, we're seeing all of our service companies are, are growing very quickly right now. And and when you talk about a product company, a company, um, I you know, mm-hmm. I, you look at the old style of retail. You know, there's everybody's going retail now. Retail's disappearing. So what are these product companies? How are they? What are the ones that are really successful? What are they doing different other than retail? Well, I mean, they're they're sell- so a lot of people selling direct to customers. They're building their own websites, and they're you know they're they're trying to get out and just basically bypass the retailer because uh, you'll get much better margins, right? Every product you sell is going to be a lot more profitable for you because you don't have middlemen, you know, taking a cut out as they distribute it. Um, and then, and then I think just mo- people moving to the online retailers, you know, I mean, Amazon is such a huge yeah. force right yes. now that, and I think understanding how, to, how does your marketing, you know, how does your marketing change? How do you work, you know, with the online retailers? So, the, it, so if you are not online, you're pretty much out of business. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I mean, it's hard to say, but it's certainly... It certainly is going that that direction. Yeah, well, I, I look I look at like some of the old retail malls, and now there's very few shops. That there's a lot of restaurants, there's services, you know, massage places, um, but very very little retail out there. So as a as a entrepreneur starting up today, Krista, since you've been through this, mm-hmm. they're starting up today. What what words of wisdom would you share? I mean. I honestly think that today you really have to be able to react quickly, right? You should be measuring what's working and what's not working and and be able to switch and sort of be agile, right, as you navigate through because there's so many options. You about marketing today, you can do Facebook marketing, you can do, you know, social media marketing, you can be buying ads online. There's, There's all these things you can be doing and how do you, you have to try a lot of different things quickly, figure out what works for you and go for it. And then remember that that won't work forever. So it's this idea of constant innovation, hugely important in today's businesses. So you really do have to immerse yourself in education, getting yourself understanding the whole tech world. Cause I'm kind of a dinosaur. You know, I started my business geez, 20, 30 years ago. Um, and I was, my marketing Krista was about, you know, how you send out <laughs> flyers and things like that. But the whole <laughs> tech world is so different. So if you really are serious about being an entrepreneur, you've got to immerse yourself in a lot of probably the social media that you're already using today. But how do you use that for a marketing point of view? And, and I wholeheartedly agree. Our whole company has gone so digital that I don't understand. Most of it I do not understand. But um, I really do thank you for your time and congratulations on P2B Investor, Krista Morgan, and her website is P2BI, P2BI.com. And I really thank you for the service you're doing in supporting entrepreneurs and growing and uh, getting them capital. Any final words you'd like to share with our view, with our listeners? 
you know, just go for it. You know, that's what I would say when I started my business. I just, you know, I one day at a time, you know, and, and you'll get there. And you got there. <laughs> well <Yeah>. done. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Krista. Appreciate it. And I hope you are, uh, I trust you are relieving a little bit of stress for some of these entrepreneurs that uh, didn't have maybe the alternative of the traditional lender and are looking now to you and to other lending alternatives to get their business off the ground because times have changed dramatically and uh, the whole tech world has really made not just a dent but a huge huge hole in the whole world of business so thank you for your time Krista appreciate it thank you so I want to thank our two guests Krista Morgan CEO and co-founder of P2B Investor and Kathleen Burns Kingsbury author of Breaking Money Silence um, again, I'm going to say it one more time. We do have a financial literacy crisis here in the world, and we're both talking about how to talk about money. As Krista said, you've got to know your numbers. If you want to talk money, if you want to talk raising capital, you've got to know those numbers. So it's all about getting comfortable with the subject of money, getting comfortable with your numbers, talking about it so that you can have the success that you want in your life. Thank you so much for listening. Don't be like Charlie. Charlie is that do-it-yourselfer who does himself in. Do-it-yourself is good for tile and grout. It is not good for asset protection. Charlie thought he'd save a few dollars forming his LLC online. With no guidance, he did it wrong. When he sold the property, he lost thousands and thousands of dollars. He did himself in by trying to do it himself. Don't burn yourself. Use Corporate Direct to set up and maintain your LLCs and corporations. Corporate Direct is owned and operated by attorney and rich dad advisor, Garrett Sutton. Garrett wrote the bestsellers, Loopholes of Real Estate and Start Your Own Corporation. He is Robert Kiyosaki's attorney for asset protection. He and his team will do it right. Visit them at CorporateDirect.com or call 800-600-1760. Mention Rich Dad and receive $100 off your formation fee. That's CorporateDirect.com. CorporateDirect.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.